When I was uh, young and a pastor, um, I was getting... Uh, today, you're going to have to have a good imagination, okay, because I'm going to paint some pictures. And a lot of times, I'm, I'm sure when you read scripture, you try to read into the, the setting and understand. Put yourself there. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you about what's going on. Well, um, I'm going to try and paint pictures along the way. And if you can do that, I think it'll help help you understand where where God's coming from <laughs> in all of this. As a young pastor, I was um, preparing a wedding. We were doing the rehearsal thing. You know, you come to this strange church. You look at the layout, and you decide where people are going to be, where the bride's going to be, and how we're going to move everybody in their position. Y'all ever been to that kind of deal? And so all of that's going on, and, and the best man hasn't showed up. And uh, I had it on good advice that, that he was traveling. He was on the way, coming from College Station. Okay, so we're muddling through details and talking things out. And then all of a sudden, in comes this ROTC cadet from A&M. And uh, you're all familiar with the Aggie spirit, right? He was in the Corps. He was a senior, I think. So he was four years in the Corps. And he comes up to me, and he just stands right in front of me. He says, sir, my name is da-da-da, cadet da-da-da. I am here to serve you in any way possible. Just let me know what I can do, sir. I wasn't sure if he was going to salute me next or I should salute him. But I thought, wow, I really like this guy. And I could sure use some help around here tonight. So, And he was all about that the rest of the evening. Now, I was pretty impressed. And, I, and I've reflected back on that in terms of what we're going to talk about today because I want to try and, and develop the idea of identity and intention a little bit. Maybe we can get a little clearer picture of those factors in our life because our identity is, is so important to what we do and what we intend to do, our intentions. And he was very clear about who he was. I am cadet, and, I, and his intentions were very determined, and they were good intentions. So I thought, wow, that's, that's, those are great qualities. So um, I began to think about Caleb in the Bible. Now, Caleb was, uh, knew who he was, was and what he was about, and, and he had very strong intentions. And I just want to revisit Caleb for a minute just to kind of ease into the idea of intentions and the impact and how we should consider our own. Uh, I'm going to read for you. So now it's time to put your imagination, switch on, click, and, and move into a couple of scenes in Caleb's life. Now, he was one of the, um, one of the 12 spies, as the Bible translated. It was basically a pre-invasion reconnaissance a patrol of 12 men, one from each tribe, and Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. So <clears throat> the patrol was out for 40 days, uh, reconnoitering the promised land, checking it all out, seeing what the opposition was, what, con- confirming things about the promised land. And they returned to give a report to Moses and Aaron and all the people. So you can imagine this con- tremendous congregation. This is the biggest campsite ever. 
about two million people all gathered out in a somewhat arid area. And they've been there for 40 days waiting, waiting to enter the promised land. So there's a lot of anticipation, anxiety, you know, this giant group. Okay, and the word must have passed through that group really fast because, hey, the patrol's back, the, patrol, the spies are back. So they come before Moses and Aaron and, and the people. They bring with them a lot of fruit to show the produce of the land. Man, this is, this is good stuff. So we're going to read in right there. I'm going to use the message most of today. Well, they reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told the story of their trip. We went to the land to which you sent us, and oh, oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. Everybody's going, wow, and everybody's face is really, oh, this is great. This is about to happen. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Oh, can you all say, oh. (laughs) So I'm sure they all went, oh. Amalekites are spread out in the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites hold the hill country. And the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. Oh, man, this really looks bad. So they're painting a picture. And the message says, Caleb interrupted. How do you interrupt two million people going, oh, oh, this is terrible? He managed. He stopped them and he called for silence before Moses. I don't know what Moses was doing, but Caleb decided he was going to shut everybody up for a minute. And he says, let's go up and take the land. Now we can do this. Wow. Now Caleb has some strong intentions. (laughs) And they're the same intentions God has. Interesting to me. Well, story goes on. But the others, the others in the patrol said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. So they began spreading scary rumors among the people of of Israel. And they said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw Nephilim giants. The the Anak giants come from the Nephilim. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. The whole community was in an uproar. Wailing all night long, all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The entire community was, was, was in it, was in on it. Why didn't we just die in Egypt or in this wilderness? Why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives, our children about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to Egypt right now? Soon they were all saying to one another, let's pick a new leader. Let's head out to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in front of the entire assembly and gathered in an emergency session. (laughs) Joshua and Caleb, 
members of that scouting party, ripped their clothes and addressed the assembly of the people. The land we walked through and scouted out is very good. Very good indeed. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land that does flow, as they say, with milk and honey. And he'll give it to us. Just don't rebel against God. And don't be afraid of those people. Why, we'll have them for lunch. We have, they have no protection, and God is on our side. Don't be afraid of them. But, up in arms now, the entire community was talking of stoning them. Now, Caleb stood fast through all of that. So did Joshua, Moses, Aaron. But God's, the consequence of that unbelief was 40 years of wandering in the, day, in the desert. So I want to fast forward 45 years, okay? So 40 years forward, five more years um, of conquest, and then we want to take another look at Caleb. So he was 40 then, and he's much, much older now. So they've kind of had a semi-successful invasion uh, of the promised land, and... um, they're allotting the land to the various tribes. So that's the scene now. So we're, we've really moved past all the complaining and grumbling for 40 years. In a different place. This is a new generation. The complainers have died off. We have another generation that's uh, younger and hopefully following God. And they've been faithful in the conquest. So they're dividing up the land. And the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb spoke. You'll remember what God said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me back at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of God, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back an honest and accurate report. My companions who went with me discouraged the people, but I stuck to my guns, totally with God, my God. That was the day that Moses solemnly promised. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, you and your children's forever. Yes, you have lived totally for God. Now look at me. God has kept me alive as he promised. It's now 45 years since God spoke the words to Moses. Years in which Israel wandered in the wilderness And here I am today, 85 years old. I'm as strong as I was the day Moses sent me out. I'm as strong as ever in battle, whether coming or going. So give me this hill country that God promised me. You yourself heard the report that the Anakim are there with their great fortress cities. If God goes with me, I will drive them out just as God has said. So Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to him and to his family as an inheritance because he gave himself totally to God. Well, 45 years later, Caleb's intentions have not changed. His identity is wrapped on, wrapped up in his God. His purpose and intention is the same as God's. 
you guys are supposed to take the land. And Caleb, the warrior that he is, I'll take where the giants are because I'm going to go get them. And he did. And he did. So, a very determined man all of his days. His intentions were strong because I think he was totally sold out to God. Don't you like, we use that expression. Man, I'm just sold out to that. Caleb was sold out to God's plan and God's purposes. And he was fixed in his intentions on that. Now, I mean, that's a wonderful attitude. <laughs> Is it not? And and. I, growing up, I just have to ask myself, you know, that, that's the kind of spirit, that's the kind of intention that I want to have. And um, that, that wholeheartedness, that determination that he had to have that, not be distracted, not be bothered by things that uh, can, can cause doubt and fear. I think I told someone in here I'm working on working on fear these days to not be afraid of anyone or anything and I'll just tell you a little secret my intention is to step into anyone I'm afraid of (laughs) you know to step into it and not let fear rule how I interact with any other person you ever have someone you're kind of intimidating to you you know I, I don't think we have to be you know, like that to do it, like a military man, but to be able to just step into any relationship and, and cast the fear aside. My intention is singular. I'm, I'm in this relationship to bless you, right? That's what we're on the planet to do. I'm in a relationship with you to bless you. Okay, so I have nothing to fear, right? Motives are simple and straightforward. Now, as, as I thought about this intention, Caleb, Caleb rang true to me. And when I thought about identity, um, I thought about Jesus' temptation. Because in, in that, um, the issue of, of identity was very plainly where Satan chose to challenge him. Now, the setting's a little different when we shift to Jesus coming. Israel's invasion of the promised land was to take a, a small piece of the planet and let God rule over it as a theocracy, what you want to call it. Um, but problems occurred within God's people because they were just broken. But when Jesus came, the invasion was much greater. Now it's the planet at stake. Jesus invaded the planet. He's going to take it back. And, of course, he's going to meet opposition. Um, And once he had been baptized by John, it was kind of the initiation of his public ministry. And what happened at that event. The sky opened up and a voice was heard from heaven. This is my beloved son 
in whom I am well pleased. Any identification problems there? <laughs> uh-uh. Talk about a confirmation. Oh, my goodness. Well, Jesus is in the wilderness. You know the stories. Forty days and nights. He's, Mark says he was being tempted the whole time. But I think at the end is what we have in Matthew 4. Um, his last shot at Jesus before Jesus was just done with him. And you got to figure he's maybe kind of hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. Uh, he's been alone. He's fatigued. He's tired. All, all that kind of, all those factors. But he does remember his father's voice. I am the son of God. So Satan takes him on. He's going to challenge this identity thing. He challenges ours, too. That's behind why we're doing, talking about this. The NAS and the NIV say, if you are the Son of God. And the Greek, Greek has a number of different kinds of conditional sentences. You know what a conditional sentence is. You have a condition, then you have a conclusion. An if-then sentence. If this, then this. And in Greek, actually in classical Greek, there's eight different kinds. In, in Koine Greek, there's four. And this one says, if, and let's assume it's true, Jesus. If, and let's assume it's true, you're the son of God. Then do something, right? Isn't it interesting? I, you know, the sense I get from it, number one, he tells Jesus to do something. Turn these stones to bread. Does Jesus do that? No, he's not going to submit to this guy. He's fixing to run this guy off the planet. Well, sort of. If, let's assume you're the son of God for just a minute. You know, Jesus didn't... It's almost like he taunted him. Prove it. Prove it to me. You ever had somebody do that to you? you us guys, when we're young, we boast... And we get caught, and someone says, prove it. (laughs) You know, sometimes maybe we do, sometimes we don't. But I think Jesus, he's not about to prove anything to this guy. And we need to remember, too, we're not here to prove things about ourselves, are we? It's not not our purpose. It's not a part of our identity. The second temptation, he does it again. Same construction in Greek. If you're the son of God, and let's just assume you are. But in the second temptation, I didn't put the verse down, but he challenges his relationship with God the Father in the verses that he quoted. Excuse me. Jesus just heard his Father's voice. And now Satan's trying to, are you, is God really your dad? He is mine. And he is yours. I'm going to tell you a real quick story. It's about me. <laughs> Forgive me if you've heard it. Some of you I know have. My last name is Dodson. I was born a Blackburn, and I was adopted. My first dad was a criminal. My second dad uh, abandoned me, and my third dad left when I was eight years old. I have not had a dad. And when I grew up, like a lot of young men who are troubled, 
uh, they're looking for answers, so they go in the ministry. And so, well, many don't, forgive me, that's my story. But um, as I was pastoring a church, and I was a troubled young man, I had a, a senior, an older pastor say to me, have you ever considered God's your father? I went, yeah, I know the doctrine of the Trinity, and da, 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 I could tell him ten points on the father and you know, he says, no, that God is really your dad. He says, you need to go back and read the Gospels and read everything Jesus says about his dad, about the father, because he's your father, and you need him desperately. Boy, do I. Don't we all? And it's, it's critical to our identity that we have this relationship with the father that's personal that we experience. Well, my adopted last name was Dodson. I never thought anything of it until my beautiful wife and I went to Israel, and we were suspicious that her family's Jewish, probably is. We were looking into maybe trying to prove that out while we were there. And the tour guide, we were were up in Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, and we were talking about it with him. And he says, to Dorothy, he says, what's your mother's maiden name? Moreno. So he goes to the phone book. He says, look, here's a whole page of Moreno's. That's a very common Jewish last name. And then he turns to me and says, what's your last name? Dodson. Oh, son of Dode. Dode means beloved. I am the son of the beloved. I am. God gave me that name to prove to me one day I would understand who my dad is. Got it? And Satan wants to deny that identity. He was successful in my eyes for a long, many years, even as a Christian and a Bible-thumping, Bible-teaching pastor. Didn't see it. Didn't see it for a long, long time. That's so critical to our identity. And Jesus doesn't put up with that one either. And then... As I did this study, this third point jumped out at me, and I went, oh, my goodness. I wasn't even planning on this one. The others I kind of been chewing over in my mind, but as I was uh, thinking about this further, the third, timna- the, third timna- <coughs> the third temptation, he doesn't do that if you're the son of God thing. You go, I, I went, just like Jeremy did. What? <laughs> you know, he didn't. He shifted his strategy. The message puts it this way. For the third test, the devil took him on the peak of a high mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all the earth's kingdoms and how glorious they all are. It must have been a gigantic PowerPoint presentation that Satan gave for Jesus. Over here we have this and this and this. And wow, look at the wealth. Hey, it's all yours. You can have it all. In fact, uh, he says they're yours, according to the message. They're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and it's all yours. Now, we need to keep in mind that all earthly kingdoms and empires are broken. They're in ruin, spiritually, for the most part. 
uh, as I've studied world history with my sons, we just repeatedly, God, there's so much unrighteousness in the rulers throughout history. Even Britain, which I thought was such a wonderful country, uh, has had its fair share of poor leadership. So much of the kingdoms of the world are, I liken it to, remember the kids' movie, Wally? Wally. Remember that one? And the planet had been just utterly devastated. It was just a trash dump. And, and the humans left the planet until it would sustain life again. So I know Satan's putting his best presentation out there. <laughs> but the reality is, in a spiritual way, the planet is like it, that. It's in ruin. It's in ruin. And Satan is putting on the big show. It's about appearances, right? Smoke and mirrors and all that kind of stuff. Because he can't fix it. But the king who can has come. And he's looking at him face to face. And Jesus, like the true king of all kings, looked in and said in the message, Beat it, Satan. That's it. The king's here. The king had come. He had resisted all temptations. His identity is rock solid. His intention is unwavering. He has come to establish an eternal, incorruptible kingdom in place of the mess that's here. And that's what he's about. And the question becomes, is that what we're about? (laughs) Because in the end, it is our intention. So, this kingdom that Jesus is about is not... We're not cranking up the military for it, right? It's not that kind of kingdom. You know, he, he, three and a half years, Jesus, how would you like to wake up to resistance to who you are every day? <laughs> every day Jesus got up, he was resisted by someone. And his identity was all the time being questioned, who are you? And Pilate, even, you know, right before the crucifixion, yeah, are you a king? And Jesus trying to help Pilate out, because if you're a political king, then we got troubles. You know, I got problems with you. But Jesus made it real clear. He says, my kingdom does not consist of what you see around you. If it did, my followers would, be, would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But I'm not that kind of king not the world's kind of king. His kingdom is not of this world. He's brought, this, is, this was the major invasion of the planet from heaven when Jesus came. And Satan knew it. But Jesus, so he tempted him. He tempted him in terms of his identity. Not a problem. He's heard his father's voice and he knows his father. His kingdom is so different from the kingdoms of the world. So if we're advancing a kingdom that's invisible and eternal and incorruptible, the qualities of it, Paul gives us a few. Uh, The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. And then if you think about our king, what's our king like? He gives us his love, his joy, his peace, his life, his friendship, his inheritance. Anybody else on the planet ever been that generous or even had those things to give? Yet we, that's the king we have. 
Well, <clears throat> our intentions are clear then. We're here to advance that kingdom. And we know our king, and our identity is wrapped up in our king. And in this relationship with God as our dad. I was so glad to be an older dad and get sons. They tell me, love you, Dad. Love you, David. We say that all the time. It's wonderful. Never had that before. And now I have a heavenly father saying, love you, Dad. And I know he says, love you, son. You know, we have, we desperately need that vertical relationship with our father if we're going to do what we're called to do. Now, this third temptation was a worldly offer that Jesus had to deal with, a worldly offer. And so I went to James 4.4 4 and it says, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. Now, you know, some translations more uh, literal will say friendship with God. And, and, and if we think about friendships... Friendships can be very strong. The loyalty in a friendship can be very strong. The bonds of that can be very strong. And a question that Brennan Manning put out there when I was reading his book, Ava's Child, he puts this question out there that just kind of stunned me at first. I want it to stun you a little Do you honestly think that God likes you? Now, we all know he loves us. We have theological statements for that, and we can do all the theological arguments why God loves us and Jesus demonstrates love toward us, blah, blah, blah. But does he like you like a best friend? And you, you need to answer that in your own head. It's between you and God. And... My, my answer is, oh, yeah, he's just drop-dead crazy about me. He just can't wait till I get up in the morning to be with him. I tell my boys that. Wake up, wake up. God's still waiting, man. He wants to have his day, have a day with you. Is that not the way we ought to wake up? Well, maybe when we're sore and all feet up. Can we do something light today? <laughs> But God is, he's just delighted that you're awake to be with him. So let's be with him. <laughs> I think um, well, James, James 4 came up, and then the other passage is 1 John 2, and, and I really hadn't read the message about this, so it was kind of interesting because it brought up something else. It says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Interesting. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world in all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. So the tragedy of loving the world is we miss out on that relationship with our loving Father. 
Gosh, as we draw near our Heavenly Father, he heals us. That troubled young man I used to be, I'm not. Trust me on that one. <laughs> you may say, no, you're still in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but trust me on that one. I know what God has done inside of me. And it's because of Jesus. And it's because of the Holy Spirit. And it's because I know my dad, my father. I didn't used to like it when I'd hear Christians say, Daddy, talking about God, the Father, you know. I come to me. Didn't, didn't like that one. I, I might say Daddy and private <laughs> with y'all i'll say dad because <laughs> he is i want i now i have utter respect for god as my father but my intimacy with him my friendship with him his love for me are it should be so familiar right intimacy and familiarity go very close together so i think it's okay i think it's okay to be that familiar with God, but I have profound respect for my Heavenly Father and my Savior, Jesus. And I know you do too. But this, the, the tragedy of engaging in the world so much that you don't have that time to spend with your Father and with your King, getting your next mission, you know, may be impossible, but hey, God's up for that, are you? So... I mean, Caleb took on a pretty large chunk and just pushed right into it. I think he he wants us to do it. It's the adventure. It's the adventure the king's provided for us. Now, one other phrase, and I'm going to stop. (sighs) The phrase where it says, uh, wanting to appear important, I'm going to give that a different word. Uh, and do with it as you wish. I'm not, I'm, I'm just wanting you to question these things. Success. It's a very subtle idea that really drives people in this country. Success. When will I have become successful? But the problem with the world is it's passing away. It's going to go away. You could build a 200-story skyscraper, but one day it won't be here anymore. But the kingdom will. So where do we put our energy and our resources? In our success? It's an interesting question. Uh, it hit me between the eyes when I first read, read it. Uh, Thomas Merton, who is quoted in Brennan Manning's books, Um, and Ava's child is the one he quoted Merton and it it shocked me when I read it I didn't want to think about it for a few minutes so I've tried it on other people along the way and they've been shocked too so I'm going to try it on you today now Merton was discussing the fascination Merton was a monk uh, just devoted his life to just trying to know who God is And I think he succeeded in many ways. So he was discussing with some people the fascination with honor and power among those people who were driven to enhance their image in the eyes of their admirers. That's the prequel to the quote. Merton says, If I have a message to my contemporaries, it is surely this. Be anything you like, but at all costs, avoid one thing, success. 
that just runs counter to this culture. Avoid success at all costs. What? <laughs> it, it requires a major shift in our thinking. You can still be successful and be godly. In fact, if, if you pursue something as a part of God's kingdom with righteousness and joy and peace and the Holy Spirit, that's a different matter, isn't it? You're establishing kingdom right there on the planet. But to pursue success for my personal appearance sake, I think we're way off. There's, it's just, it, there's a shift that needs to happen in our thinking. So, I'm done, and I'll leave you with this. Just, we need to be clear about who we are. We are sons of God the Father. We have the greatest loving dad on there can be. And he is it all. And we are heralds of the king. We are warriors of the king. We are servants of the king. All of those things. Our identity is broad because there's a lot for us to do. And it re, it's kind of a redefinition, you know. It's a redefinition of who we are in terms of our king and our kingdom that we're a part of, and that Jesus hands over to us. So if I can use the phrase being sold out to the king and his kingdom, that's our identity, that's our intention.